Welcome to Living Southern Oregon, a podcast dedicated to discovering and exploring all Southern Oregon has to offer. I'm your host, Simona Fino, and I will be introducing you to the people who live here, the things they love, and what makes Southern Oregon a magical place to call home. Welcome, everyone, to another wonderful episode of Living Southern Oregon. Today, I'm really excited to bring Terry Trantham. She was born with green thumbs and a garden in her heart. That speaks to my heart. (laughs) She just knew she was meant to live a life with her hands in the dirt. She was born in the deserts of New Mexico, so she knows drought. Food security is her driving force. She has a five-acre permaculture homestead where she and her husband practice regenerative and biodynamic farming, including integrated food forest systems focusing on perennials. Terry spent 12 years in Alaska where the soil is fertile, but the season is short. From there, she lived and traveled across the world learning about different terrains and methods of cultivating the earth. She's learned from Norwegian gardeners, Caribbean agriculturists, Middle Eastern olive farmers, and Balinese rice growers, and everybody in between. Now settled here in Southern Oregon, Terry is taking all that she has seen and studied and is combining it with a permaculture food forest philosophy to grow her dream on her five-acre property. Her friends call her garden girl, and the word that shows up in her vocabulary more than any other is abundance. Terry is an enthusiastic teacher with a heart for sharing all she has learned. And today, I know we're going to learn a lot. I've already learned a few things just wandering around in your beautiful property. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So just so listeners know, I got a chance to do a little tour of this gorgeous five-acre property and also get a little bit deeper understanding of what you've got going on here. So, But first, I want to start off with... How did you end up in Southern Oregon? All these places you've obviously visited, many of them clearly amazing and beautiful. Tell me a little bit about your journey and well, gosh, we've been around the world. Um, My husband was a consultant. We had our own company, and so we lived in 10 or 15 different countries. Wow. And most of those are big cities like Jakarta or Dubai, and I felt lost without soil, without being able to Mm -hmm. dig and and play in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And we had a home in Florida at the time. We'd left Alaska, um, and we had a house in Florida for 10 years, and I loved gardening there. And I went there specifically to garden because, of course, it's year-round gardening. And our daughter um, got the opportunity to come here. She loves the um, Pacific Northwest. She went to school in Olympia, and she grew up in, in Alaska, and she wanted to come back to this region. And so when we got the opportunity to retire, she said we should come here, and I was adamant that I didn't want to come here because my idea of Oregon was that it was cold and rainy, and it was far north. <laughs> and she said, no, mom, it's, it's a beautiful climate. So I, of course, Googled and found that it's a zone eight, seven or eight. And I realized that was just one zone different than the Florida growing climate. Mm-hmm. And we were really tired of hurricanes. Uh, yeah. We lived through three or four, uh, several evacuations 
sometimes damage. And um, so we came and visited and, of course, fell in love with it instantly. And because we're from the Southwest, this just feels like the perfect Perfect midway between Alaska and Florida, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> our daughter's here, and I love, I love being, a, this this Mediterranean climate, it's just f- fun to garden in. Yeah. Um, of course, we've had the wildfires, and we're coming into drought, things are changing, so I'm switching my focus to be, to include farming with no water. Yeah. So that's a big concern. Of course, we all lived through the fire several years ago, and it's a it's a concern. The fear's in our hearts all the time. But when we heal the earth, we heal the soil, we bring back the trees, we catch the water, we can change things. We can we can heal this environment, help it retain more water, and uh, make a difference. Yeah. So we can we can we can slow this change down, or we can adapt to it, but we can also improve it. Absolutely. I agree. And I'm excited to hear about yeah. some of these methods and yeah. so that people can be doing these in their own properties. Oh, it's easy. My, my, uh, my methods are easy to translate into either a small balcony garden or into to multi-acre. Which is what I was going to ask yeah. because not everybody has five acres to work yeah. with or even an acre. They're no. just working with a backyard or a tiny little space. And so it's learning how to... Yeah, well, the secret is to start small, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and no matter how small you are, if you start small and you learn those systems in a small environment, then then the systems repeat themselves in any scale. So you can just expand out, yeah, to, to whatever size or shape you have. So I want to just touch a little bit, you know, in the intro here. I was, you know, Norwegian gardens or gardeners, Caribbean agriculturists, you know, you, you just yeah. been so many amazing places and connected. Was there anything that was overarching that you saw in all these cultures or were you just taking pieces from each? Well, pieces of each, of course. Um, in the cultures, it's the people, of course. Mm-hmm. That's the fun part. And everyone around the world is the same. We all have the same needs and wants and goals. Um, so, I learned a lot from the people there. When I look at the environments, because we literally went from Alaska to Vietnam to Dubai, you can't imagine the the different changes, Jakarta, Canada, (laughs) Trinidad and Tobago. So every one of those places has their own bioregions, and within those regions are the little pockets of environment. And... I just am so fascinated with what grows where and how does it survive. Like in the Canary Islands, they're on a complete volcanic island and it's all volcanic pumice. So they pile those rocks and, and farm with no water, which just amazed me. They've got grapes to grow in that. So I, I realize you can adapt. And I started looking how the locals adapt. In Peru, they, they terrace the mountains and they do that in Spain as well, where you, you have different ecosystem on each little terrace. You can grow different things. So mm-hmm. even in a small garden, different spots will grow different, mm-hmm. different plants. You got frost pockets or you have flood zones. And, uh, so it, like in Vietnam or um, Indonesia, the, the, they have a lot of water, and they adapt to that. And um, so I was just amazed to learn that you could, like, grow grass 
or rice standing in water. Yeah. And you can grow grapes standing in full-on sand or pumice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if, if I can see those methods and bring those back here mm-hmm. and use some of those in this. Well, when we got here in 15, I think we moved in. We came to the state in 15. We didn't buy this property and move in until 16. But um, at that point, I was prepping for a Mediterranean climate. Although the, the water just, the water availability really dropped in those years. So I'm really happy mm-hmm. that my, my plants are established. Now they're established. I'm working soils, building soils. When your soils are strong, it'll absorb the water. Mm-hmm. And then we sidestep a lot of the drought problems that yeah, potentially coming. Yeah, and you have some experience, like you were saying, in, in New Mexico. You're familiar mm-hmm. with drought. Oh, I think that's yeah. one thing that's difficult for a lot of folks here is that we're not familiar with it. It's been, you know, even even though Southern Oregon is, is a Mediterranean climate and there it's sunny and, and warm, we are blessed with that. Right. Um, it still has had water. We've had water on the West Coast here in this Northwest area. Now that we're entering phase where we don't have water, I think it's important for people to, like you said, adapt both on personal levels on how we utilize water. Right. And if you're not used right. to that, because right. you're just like, oh, we've always had it. It's we've really hard to it. kind of scale that to back, scale, right? Cutting, scaling back is really hard. We, we lived, uh, James and I lived in the Southwest, all four corners states in there for quite a while and we were even in Arizona for a while and and the lack of water there you can you can look at the wastefulness and the greed that creates this kind of water shortages with golf courses and swimming pools and big yards that we water but there's also ways to mitigate that and I learned a lot from those. So I'm really familiar with rationing and you can't wash your car and you can't, <laughs> you, you can't water your lawn unless you're an even or odd street. And, you know, yeah. it's a struggle also for most of my family has wells that are running dry. So not only is there no rain, but the water tables are sinking. And I know that if we, change things, we can save our water table here. We can prevent that from dropping if we use mm-hmm. it wisely and go at that. And so a lot of people are, are panicking and leaving, but we can make changes now. Mm-hmm. And this is just such a lovely place to live. It is. I, I think <laughs> we get on board and we, we change our systems and we change our agriculture and we be water wise. We can just enjoy this. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. I love living here. Well, tell me a little bit about the food forest um, mm. philosophy, because as we were walking around your gardens mm. and property, um, you were pointing out a lot of that. And so I'm going to have pictures I'll be putting on Facebook so oh. that way people okay. can see some of those too. Okay. But well, the, this is a really simple system where you utilize perennials so that you don't, it's not an annual base system where you replant things every year. So there's almost always a perennial substitute for like a perennial kale or perennial spinach, you can you can plant it once, and it keeps coming back. And so, if you organize your 
your layout where you've got the different layers, you can utilize the sun and the shade and the ecosystem involved in several layers of growing food. So you start out, I think there's seven layers, probably won't remember them all now, but you have your overstory of your trees and then your your smaller trees and your shrubs and your bushes, your ground cover, then your underground tubulars, carrots or whatever. You can intermix in, in an integrated, you can mix your food in with your lawn, your landscaping. It's basically an edible mm-hmm. landscape. And um, when you use the, all the layers, you can maximize your production in a very small space. I didn't include vines, and you can use the vining layer as well, or the mushroom, the understory. So I use strawberries as a ground cover. All of those items can fill a space and you can produce a lot of food in a very limited area by utilizing all of the layers. Mm -hmm. So, and the integrated is just that you, you, it's no longer a monocrop where you just have like a rows of corn or your tomatoes. You integrate those in to, uh, in with your perennials and you don't have to till you don't have to do all of the heavy burden labor that most people think of when they garden. Mm-hmm. And things don't survive in isolation. As people, we don't, and plants don't. And people have the wrong concept that you have to only have one thing because they're going to be stealing water or nutrients. But I don't feel that's true. I feel it's a symbiotic relationship between the layers above and below ground, like the root systems are all different. And so these plants can coexist side by side, just like humans Mm -hmm. can, by sharing and cooperating with each other. So you can cram a lot in, even especially if you have a little bitty lot or a little balcony or whatever, you, you can get a lot of food in a small area. It's, it's called stacking functions. You can get in a permaculture, one of the permaculture. Mm -hmm themes is that you get more functions out, more than one function from one plant. So a plant might be medicinal, it's probably also a pollinator. Mm -hmm. And maybe the birds love it, and maybe it's accumulating, it's a biodynamic accumulator so that you can chop it and drop it and feed your soil. So you've got your fertilizer all in one. So um, when you think differently on the plants you put into these little guilds, you can get a lot of production. They might not all be food. I'm, I'm, my focus is food security, but it, and maybe it's just a pretty flower too. Flowers are edible. The, the bees and the birds like it. It creates a, a little ecosystem that's, um, it's a win-win for everyone mm-hmm. and you can make it pretty. It doesn't have to be like a, well, some H- HOAs don't allow gardens in the front yard because it looks like rows or whatever, and you can intermingle it. So when you harvest, you're kind of more of a foraging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we were picking raspberries. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could totally see that. Throw, throw some kale in there, and exactly. you're like, oh, it's just a leafy bush. It's not a... <laughs> and it's edible or and medicinal, it's edible. Mm-hmm. and it serves... Yeah, well, so many flowers 
I mean, our medicinal and, and edible and can, yeah, okay. calendula, borage. I mean, all of those right. you can easily be landscaping with and well, lemon balm. I mean, those are, for instance, we were talking about comfrey a minute mm-hmm. ago. So the, the, um, it's, you can make salves with it. So mm-hmm. that's healing. It's also by biodynamic accumulator. So I use it as a fertilizer. It feeds the bees. Love it. Mm-hmm. All the natives and the honeybees love that. And it's, I use it to protect the bases of the trees because it can be get really tall. We get sun scald here, and you'll see that some trees are sunburned on the south or the west sides. And when you have a big, tall plant like that, it cools the tree, shades it, provides an environment so it's cool, and it protects the tree from sun scald. So it's a win-win. So there's a stacking function in one plant. Mm-hmm. You get a, a lot, many uses from one plant. Yeah, absolutely. Going back, you, uh, what did you say? Chop and drop. That was one of the mm. things that you were pointing out mm. that I love because it's, you know, it's easy. So tell us what that is because <laughs> I think it's a tip that people can take and do in their own gardens. It's absolutely <laughs> easy. So the the key to anything in our lives and our own personal lives and personal health is soil. And when you have dirt that's dead, it just has no life in it. So when you have living soils, you need to feed those because there's a food web in there that is hungry. It devours and and all the microbes and, and things in there need to be fed. So when when you have, say, for instance, a tree that drops its leaves, those leaves are feeding the soil. The microbes and the soil food life break it down, and that leaf now becomes bioavailable for the tree roots to take it back up in nutrition. So in the fall, nature fertilizes itself by dropping the leaves. When when I use a drop and chop and drop system in in my um, gardens, I'm simulating what nature does. And especially weeds, weeds are a, a dynamic accumulators. So if I pull up a weed or if I prune a plant, I lay it on the soil and it decomposes then, it feeds the food web, it mulches the soil, and it's a win-win. So what your your goal is, is to have a soil that looks like a forest floor, because that's some of the most rich fertile soils mm-hmm. in the world, and it acts like a sponge. So that absorbs the water, keeps it in, and everything's happy. You, you can't have healthy soil without moist soil. If it's rock hard dry, know that from living in the desert. It's dead. It needs moisture to have life. When you have a ground cover, it helps the life. And when there's life in there, it keeps it loose and broken up, and it's a win-win. So the, I utilize a lot of weeds because plants are expensive. Weeds are free. You can walk on them. You can pull them. You can chop them. You can drop mm-hmm. them. And uh, that's and the weeds. Almost every single weed has a flower of some kind, and that is what the bees and the the, the our nature needs that as a food source. So I let I let all my leave the weeds go if they're pretty flowers. I'll try to hold it for the pollinators until the flowers pass. If I don't really want the seeds growing, I'll chop and cut it before the seeds mature. 
and then you have a continuing cycle. And I don't have to buy fertilizer, bring it in. Those chemical fertilizers are destroying our soil. It's nothing but toxin for the soil. But you don't need it when you have weeds. You chop it and drop it, it breaks down, and you're done. Yeah. And then, <laughs> it's a closed-loop system. You don't, it's a you don't even have to haul it. You don't no. have to put it in a no wheelbarrow. Plastic bags. You don't have to carry it anywhere. It's heavy. <laughs> it's, just think of the logistics to move, to, to first of all, to produce that, and then to drive it around, and the packaging that it comes in, and then the heavy lifting, and then putting it out. When you have a chop and drop that grows right there, also... When I prune, I leave it so the mama plant is benefiting from her cuttings. So she's pulled that up, that nutrition, she drops it at her feet in nature, and that that feeds the soil with what she needs. So it's a loop system. It's a closed loop system. It's super simple. Yeah, it is. That's why I wanted to focus on the floor. That's how I can manage four acres of um, growing, and I do, I do very little weeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is weeds, I let them grow um, until they flower. Yeah. And I use a lot of weeds as pollinator habitat and ground cover. I use weeds as a shade cloth. That's what you were saying mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the shade, which yeah. also keeps things cool and yeah. moist, which you is can, exactly. Of- Exactly. You can test the temperature of bare soil and soil under any kind of a, a weed or a plant. It'll be a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And we're going to help our climate by keeping anything growing. Also, any kind of a plant in the soil is giving and taking carbons and feeding the soil and it's keeping it alive. So if you have a live root, you're going to have healthier soil. So the strawberries will stay alive all year. So I'm building soil 24-7 year-round with a plant in the ground. And the weeds is the easiest way to do that. If it's tall and I don't want to walk through it, I don't want it to go to seed, I just mow those and then my weeds become my paths. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to water. You're not watering grass. They're self-sufficient. So it's a, it's a perfect ground cover that's walkable. Yeah. Yeah. So I call it my weed and feed. So I'll weed it and feed it to the mama plant or to someone nearby that needs it. And it, then I've mulched and I've fed and I've weeded all in one. All in one. Stacking function. You don't have to carry anything anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that you have an impressive setup is your hugo culture. I don't know that I've seen one quite as established, and I love it. So tell us a little yeah. bit about how you started with that. And So I studied a lot. While we lived in big cities, I just did a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> when I couldn't garden, I was researching, and I learned about this system. Hugel, Hugel is a German word, I believe, and in the horse and buggy days, they had manure that would pile up at the front. They would take it to the back, and then they'd throw sticks on it, and they realized these piles of uh, debris, cuttings, uh, are the most fertile soil you can find. And um, so I utilize this method because I have a lot of trees and these branches are too big to chop and drop. I can't leave them. So when you have that much leaf debris or that much branches, especially when I prune my, my fruit trees, I'll pile them out back and then 
any other things that come along. Um, oh, I get leaves from my friends who are landscapers. Mm -hmm. They bring me their leaves because the leaves are clean. I don't want any other things brought in because like manures have uh, whatever the animal's been fed, dewormer or whatever, that will, that will, when you put that on your soil, you've killed the soil life. Those dewormers, those chemicals stay in. But with leaves, they're very rarely sprayed. The trees are, are not. Mm -hmm. They're high above. They're clean. They're raked. So they bring me copious, my friends bring copious mm -hmm. amounts of leaves. So I add that to the hugel mounds. Um, and then I put wood chips that I get from the arborist. They drop, I get those dropped through chip, chip drop, um, system, but I also, um, look for tree trimmers in the area when they clean the power lines. And I'll take wood chips. And so that's, that's my basis. Um, the wood chips cover the ground and feed the soil all in one. And I use those wood chips to fill in the hoople mounds because it's like a sponge. It absorbs water. So you get the benefit of a good way to get rid of debris without burning. Burning is just another way to release carbon into the air, and it's it's not the way we should be getting rid of our, you know, the burn piles that were so ubiquitous around here all year. The, those burn piles, we they're, they're not necessary. I utilize... All of my, any debris that comes from here, I make, I make a mound, pile it up, fill it with wood chips that absorbs water like a sponge. And as it breaks down, it feeds the soil and it's a win-win that becomes my barrier, my borders of my flower beds or mm -hmm. my garden beds. And so it keeps the grass out, keeps the moisture in, stops any water. So in doing that, you form a swell and a swell will stop any water from running off your property. So the worst thing we can have is rainwater that falls on barren ground that's been plowed or clear cut. There, there's nothing in the soil to retain it. The water runs off immediately, ends up in the ocean, carries whatever chemicals are on there or topsoil. If you create swells, then you can absorb that water. It's a berming mm -hmm. system. So it's a win-win. Those, those hoogle mounds stay moist well into this, the hot season and the plants around benefit from that moisture that they retain. It's a win-win. Yeah. So I don't have to burn. I don't have to haul it off the property. I get to utilize it. It feeds my soil and it holds the water. It's a win-win. That's like several wins. That's more stacking. than win-win. That's a stacking function. <laughs> win times five. <laughs> there you have stacking functions. Yeah. So we can we can heal this environment, heal any environment by holding the carbon in. And you were saying that they, you know, because some of them are pretty tall. They're mm -hmm. a good couple feet tall. Yeah. And that you that you watch them. They just as they are as they break down and break down, they're getting smaller and then you're just adding on to that. That's How true. quickly does that process happen? It depends like on the wood and it okay. depends on what's in there. If it's leaves, it'll break down pretty quickly unless they go, unless they're packed. But the heavier woods, so I have a variety of woods and some break down, the softer woods break down right away. The harder woods stay and it, it breaks. So it, you have the whole point of permaculture of this system is diversity, diversity of plants, diversity of soil life. And when you bring in the diversity of the woods, they break down at different rates. They feed different things in the soil. So it's a win-win. So it doesn't matter what you put in and, and at all. Some things might break down in several months, and some will be there several years. Yeah, it's just 
depends on how it breaks down. And I get a lot of benefit from that. I get mushrooms growing on them. So the, there's two types of soil to go for. It's either a, um, a fungal-based or a bacterial-based soils. The fungal-based soils are better for, on general, generally speaking, better for perennials. That's where the wood chips come in amazing because after the wood chips start breaking down, you can see the mycelium growing, the, um, the white fibers under mm -hmm. there. That's, that, you know you've got healthy soil um, when the mycelium's off and running. It's feeding the food web. It's sequestering carbon. It's just also a win-win. Yeah. So that's it's so many benefits from the wood chips. It yeah. covers the ground, lowers the temperature. It? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It looks, it simulates the forest floor. Well, I took again some pictures so that way we can take a look at it because I think it's important to get a, a visual too. Um, I have some in my, in my yard. Which the Hoogle Mounds. Uh huh. And I live in a little duplex. See? So, I mean, I don't, yeah, I've well, just created smaller ones in different little spots. Yeah. Um, with your debris, if mm -hmm. you have, you just have smaller piles. I just have big piles because, yeah, <laughs> you have big, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you, um, have mentioned, or I, I was reading in your, uh, bio here is that you love to teach. Do you teach any of these things mm. as groups or classes, or have you done workshops or tell me? I have, I have done presentations on okay. integrated food forests, and I do tours here constantly. Oh, excellent. So I'm open to anyone who has questions. I, I can, um, where do you usually direct people? Simplify. Word of mouth. <laughs> Word of mouth. Okay, so you're gonna have to I call have, me. <laughs> I have an Instagram and I have a Facebook, but it's not really um, that. Yeah, it it's word of mouth. Um, I can't handle big crowds because uh, I mentioned that I utilize weeds and a lot. Big crowds end up stepping on the weeds. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm willing to share. I can speed up the learning curve for people because I have a lot of experience in gardening mm -hmm. and I can show them shortcuts and give them some good ideas where to start and what what grows in this region. Yeah. Um, when we arrived, my experience was so many places, so it wasn't that hard, but there's a lot of regional plants that I wasn't familiar with. So, And there's a lot of permaculture star plants yeah. that we use that aren't n n naturally native here. But I also do honeybees because we need pollinators. I have a lot of native. My goal is to not need honeybees. But so far, I think I do. When when things bloomed, we had a crazy spring. When things bloomed, the natives hadn't come out yet. That's part of the climate change. Mm. The natives had not come out of hibernation, so I lost some critical pollination time. The honeybee will fly anything over 50 degrees. So I think I'm, I'll be having honeybees for a while, but the goal is to not be reliant on that, to, to get things established back so that our native populations of mm. birds and bees can take over. We have a, yeah. a great symbiotic relationship between the insects here. I don't use any kind of chemical at all. Um, I don't have a bug problem. I don't have a fertilizer problem. It's just once things are in balance, you kind of get to slide. Yeah. So um, I, I'm more than happy to share. I'm pretty passionate about this. 
I'll share it with anybody who wants a tour. Okay, good to know. All right. Well, everybody knows how to find me. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know if, you, if you're comfortable putting your email out there. I will do that. Sure. But we'll, I can sure. put that in the show notes yeah, for that's people who are Absolutely. Um, wanting to learn more. Well, I want to also find out, you know, I mean, I know you spend a lot of time right here on this five acres, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> obvious by the amount of work that it takes to keep this up. Um, but what are your favorite things about Southern Oregon? What are some of the things that you enjoy about living here and things you like to do? Uh, the people. I love the people. They're farmer types, gardener types, spiritual types. That's fun. And, um, oh yeah, well, we have such neat things nearby, like Crater Lake and the mm-hmm. Redwoods and the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, um, there's a lot, a lot of fun things. Ashland's fun. Yeah. We, we have the arts, the Shakespeare. Yeah. 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 There's Shakespeare's back in full action again, oh, which is goodness. so yeah. nice to see. Mm-hmm. So encouraging folks to get out and go see a play. Let's support them because they've been through oh, a lot. Yeah. And that was, yeah, like everybody else. <laughs> but still, it's, yeah. You get it. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a, it's a great place. Um, I love the weather. Because we've been in extremes of Dubai and Alaska and Florida, this just feels like the perfect combination of not too hot, not too cold, not too wet. Mm. Seems a little dry, but I think we're going to pull out of that. But um, I just think I love this climate. I love yeah. the Mediterranean climate. Yeah, I do too. I think that's a big plus for a lot of people yes. that live here. Any um, downsides to living here? Well, the fires. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the fires. Um, Although you had hurricanes, you were saying. And we did have hurricanes. Florida, so I don't know which I was, is... I would Hurricanes you get notice about, you know, they know a week in advance they're coming so you can prepare. The fire is, if we're wise and we keep our properties clean and we use the regenerative methods, I think we can mitigate that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we've had our fires here. Yeah, <laughs> we're know, done right? with that. We're done with that. So yeah, that the, the, the changing climate is happening everywhere. Everywhere we've lived, they're under some kind of change. So we're just, I think the secret is to adapt. And I think this is a good place to be. Well, one question I like to ask folks, and you have something that comes to the top of your mind. Um, Is there a business that you know about that you think others should know about? You're like, oh, I love those folks. Mm -hmm. My daughter has a business. Yeah, what's her business? <laughs> she has a nonprofit. The uh, she has a five hundred one c. It's Ride My Road. She she uh, raises funds for survivors of self sex trafficking with her oh. motorcycle through the motorcycle community. So, oh, wow. of course, uh, there's a lot yes. of nonprofits uh-huh. around. Um, I definitely love the pollinator people. They're working really hard. Most of them are 501Cs. Um, Christina Lefer with the Pollinate, Rogue Valley Pollinator Project mm-hmm. and Sharon with uh, Cascade Girl Honey Bees. Mm-hmm. They're, they're working really hard. A lot, of, a lot of the nonprofits I love. I love the work they're doing to help change 
our chemical uses, mm-hmm. um, farming, the Fry Family Farms, the those organizations that are supporting farmers. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that really hard. Those are the ones that I really yeah. I I like to help spread the word on those. And I think it's important that people know that they're out there and they mm-hmm. exist and support them as well. Yeah. So I'll definitely include okay. include those folks. Sure. Yeah, this is what this is part of why I like yeah. doing this. Right, is is expand people's awareness of what is happening and what's going on in this area. And so it can be business or it can be. Movements. Nonprofit yeah. Movements. movements, yeah, yeah, yeah. People doing good work. So Definitely. excellent. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you doing this with me. Thank you for and asking. Yeah, and your gardens are just—they're absolutely beautiful. I'm in. We can, obviously productive. We can we can make a difference. We yeah. can help our food security. We can heal the land for the critters and um, make it more comfortable for ourselves. So. It's doable. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, that ends this episode, but we will be back, of course, next week. This podcast is produced by Simona Fino and co-produced by James Dedakis and Jaded Media. Original music by Samuel Lawrence.